Well, good morning. How is everyone? Good. If I've not met you, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Scott. And that is the intro video for our new series on the book of Ephesians. Now, we're going to be running through Ephesians for the next 12 weeks. Now, there's only, that might seem long, there's only six chapters in the book of Ephesians. We're going to spend two weeks per chapter to really delve deep into the scriptures to try and understand them, the message that God has for us through the book of Ephesians. So I'd really encourage you over this series, bring your Bible with you. Have it with you so as we're going through, as we're going through each of the verses, you can have it there and you can keep referring to it as we're preaching. So if you want to open up your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, we're going to go through today. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And it starts with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's the word of God. Let's pray before we actually get into it. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. For your word is powerful, Lord, and active. Lord, your word is truth. Lord, would you give us wisdom and discernment and understanding? Would you open our eyes to see the power and the truth in your word today? Lord, would you help me preach it? And Lord, may they not look to me, but may they look only to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Who likes movies? I love watching movies, right? Me and the boys, we love watching movies. Um, My wife, not so much. Like I'll say, hey, let's watch a movie. And she's kind of like, eh, I've got stuff to do. So she'll just, you know, work around the house and we'll start the movie. And sometimes she'll come in halfway through and start asking annoying questions. (laughs) Right? Like we all have those people, right? It's like, what's going on? And you're like, ah, like this is happening. And who's that person? Why did that person kill that person? This movie movie's stupid. And it's like, hang on a second. If you actually came in at the beginning, you would understand. Like, it's actually a good movie. You can't just parachute in halfway through and then say, oh, this movie ain't great. Right? But this is what we do as Westerners when we read the ancient scriptures from a different time and a different culture that we don't fully understand. It's like coming into a movie halfway through and trying to work out who the text is talking to 
And is it talking directly to me or not? So sometimes we'll just parachute into Ephesians and start reading it and have no idea of the background and the context. So therefore, getting a better understanding of the context this book is written in and who it's written by, who it's written to, helps us get a better understanding of the intended message and who the message is intended for. And once we understand that, we can then discern what applies to us in our time and our context. It's like we have been going through our Bible reading plan for the year and we've been going through Leviticus and Numbers and there's a lot of killing, um, there's a lot of sacrifice, there's a lot of animals going down. Um, and we can look at that and go, if we don't understand the context, go, I turn up here next week and go, all right, everyone, next week, bring your animals. I'm going to bring the butcher knife because the Bible says that we've got to kill all these animals and sacrifice them and I'll take the fat out the back and we'll cook it as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And I could say that, right? But if we understand that Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, that he was the perfect sacrifice for now and forever, that that sacrificial system has been fulfilled in Christ. So because we understand the context, we know that that part of the Bible, although we need to learn it, doesn't apply today. We don't have to sacrifice, which is great, right? No blood everywhere? Yeah, great. Am I the only one who's happy with that? Great. So if we want to look at the context of Ephesians, well, Paul started to preach... Jesus to, the, to Ephesus in around about 52 AD. And he started forming churches there and, and forming the church in that area. And we find a record of this in Acts chapter 19. So if you want to find out how that all started and what he went through in that time, go to Acts chapter 19. He's there for approximately three years ministering to that region of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey today, but that region was called Asia in the first century. And you'll actually see a map on the screen behind me. You'll see down the bottom right-hand corner, there is Syria, which is in the yellow. And just below that, you've got Judea. So Paul started in Jerusalem. This was his second missionary trip out. So he goes out, he goes through Syria, he's preaching the gospel there. Then he goes through the purple part on this red track, through uh, Cilicia. Then he goes through Galatia, the green bit. He goes into Asia, but he goes right up the top where the border is. So he's kind of skirting the border. He then goes across the Aegean Sea into Philippi and Thessalonica, then he comes down to Athens in the green part on the left there. Then he crosses back over the GNC and he hits Ephesus. So Ephesus is this place, was this seaport where a lot of trade would happen in the area. So it was a major town and city at that time. And so this is where he sets up camp to get the gospel into Asia. Now, if you look at all those little yellow dots around Ephesus, you've got Laodicea, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Sardis, Tyra, Pergamon. These are the churches that we find in the book of Revelation. So John has a revelation of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, write these letters to these churches, and they're the seven churches right there. So from this place in Ephesus, the, the gospel has gone out, and we find that in Revelation. So Paul then, from Ephesus after about three years, follows that red line back down through the Mediterranean Sea, and he comes back to Jerusalem. When he's in Jerusalem, that's where he gets arrested, he gets in prison and ends up back in Rome where they believe he wrote this letter from in prison before he was executed for his faith. Now, in that time, certain letters that Paul wrote were specific to that church. So say he was writing to New Life Cooley, he would write to us and go, all right, uh, Fernando, you've got to stop doing this. I heard that this happened. I heard that this person committed adultery. You guys have got to stop this, this and this. So they were very direct to that specific church. Some of the letters were shared letters. So instead of being specific to the church, it would be a general understanding of the gospel and how we should live, and that would be shared around. 
And theologians believe that this letter would have been shared through all those other churches there around in Asia for them to understand the gospel. And because it's a general letter and, and was probably shared to all these different churches in the area, we too can today, to a degree, read this letter to us as the church. And there's this outline of this letter. Is, it's in two basic parts. So the first part of, of Ephesians is chapter 1 and 3, and it's all about the gospel. It's all about Jews and Gentiles coming together in Christ that were adopted into the family of God. And so he spells out the gospel in the first three chapters. And then the chapter 4 starts with, Therefore, in light of our understanding of the gospel, in light of what God's done for us, this is how we should live. And so through 4 to 6, it speaks about how do we, Christians who have been saved by grace, live in the world? How should we conduct ourselves in our daily lives? So now with all that context in view and how the letter is simply sort of laid out, we're going to explore chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. And, and some theologians believe it's poetic or a bit of a prayer at the start here. And it's all praise for what God's done. All praise for his plan of salvation brought about by Jesus. And the one thing I want to highlight here is who is Paul talking to in these first few verses? You see, Paul's actually addressing two people groups here. He's addressing the Jews and he's addressing the Gentiles. You see in verses 3 to 12, he uses the pronoun we, us, all the time. He uses that because he was a Jew. He was a Jew that came to faith in Jesus Christ. So when he says we, us, he's talking to the Jews. And then you'll see this shift in verses 13 to 14 where then he says, and you. So he's like, we and us, but also you accepted the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. He's then talking to the Gentiles. And then in verse 14, he'll then bring it together and go, now our inheritance, us together, receive this together. So why does Paul do this? Because in the early church, there was division in the Christian church between the Jews and the Gentiles. Like the Jews couldn't just get over the fact that the, the Gentiles had been brought in and they didn't have to follow all the laws. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to follow the eating requirements. And all these things caused division in the church. Even Peter himself, the apostle Peter, got caught up in this. Which is interesting because Peter was one of the first ones to go out, preach the gospel, and he saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. He comes back to Jerusalem. He's like, God's granted repentance to the Gentiles. I saw it with my own eyes. Like The Holy Spirit fell on them too. And they all rejoiced that God was bringing the Gentiles in too. But then when he was in Jerusalem, he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Because Jews wouldn't eat with Gentiles because they were dirty. And so Paul actually comes into Jerusalem and calls Peter out. Calls out the Apostle Peter. Could you imagine that? He's like, hey, you're not living out the gospel. Like in Christ, we're all brought together and you're not eating with the Gentiles? That's wrong. And so we have this division, not only with the disciples of Jesus, but in the church. And a lot of his letters address this issue of this um, racial parting or division. And so he's trying to pull everyone together. Does that mean we don't take verses 3 to 12 as applicable to us or as Westerners or Gentiles? Because we're Gentiles. Like anyone who wasn't a Jew was classed as a Gentile. So unless we're Jewish, we're a Gentile. So does that mean it doesn't apply to us? Well, no, they're still applicable to us because Paul clearly sets out a clear understanding of God and his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. But it does help us put it into context when we're reading it, who, who, who he's actually speaking to. So there's three points I want to look at in this text today. One, God the Father adopts. Two, God the Son redeems. And three, God the Spirit seals. 
I love that when Paul lays out the gospel at the start of this letter, he explains how the Trinity is at work in salvation. You know, we often talk about just Jesus, right? What Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus died to save us, that he defeated sin and death for us believers, and through repentance and belief in Jesus, we receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins, which is absolutely true. And we're right in preaching Jesus. But what Paul is doing here is highlighting that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in salvation, are all involved in the redemption of humanity. You know, we know that Paul loves the gospel of Jesus Christ like that's the thing he preached the most, and it's central to the Christian faith. But he also understands that there is a deeper theology, a deeper truth. The salvation didn't start and finish 2,000 years ago with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it started before creation, and it's still coming into full completion in the future. And this salvation involves all three persons of the Trinitarian God that we find in the Bible. So let's look at God the Father adopts. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. We find here that God the Father had a plan before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before Genesis chapter 1 even started. God planned to adopt fallen humanity into his family through adoption through Jesus Christ. God planned that not only would we be saved, but through Jesus we would become sons and daughters through adoption. Like, do we understand the importance of adoption? In the ancient world, for us, it's a bit of a legal thing these days. Like, we adopt someone, we do the legal papers. They're not really my, my son or daughter. We've just adopted them. Whereas in that time, in the first century, especially in the Jewish faith, faith and understanding, if you were adopted by a family, you were like a born child of the family. You got full inheritance. You got full rights. Like, when the person died, you got exactly the same portion as everyone else. And they literally treated you as if they were your own son. And this is what God does for that. And you know what? That gives me an immense amount of comfort. To know that God is sovereign. And from the beginning of time, he actually had salvation figured out. He had a plan to redeem humanity and creation from the effects of sin. And that God knew that it would happen. God knew how to fix the problem before it even came into reality as we know it. You know what this teaches us? It teaches that God is absolutely sovereign and in total control. You know, that knowledge for me, it takes away like fear and anxiety from, from what I see and how I see God. You know, when we go traveling overseas, we make a huge plan, right? Like you just don't go, oh, okay, I'm going to Thailand. How you get there? I don't know. Where are you staying? I don't know. You go and book, right? So you book your flights. Then once you book your flights, you book your accommodation. Once you book your accommodation, you book your transfers. And then you book all your sightseeing. You get your travel insurance. You get it all sorted. So then before you go, you know that everything's good. It takes away all the fear and anxiety away. And just like travel plans alleviate fear, anxiety and stress and worry and gives us comfort knowing that everything's sorted, it's paid for, it's planned, it's booked, so does the fact that God the Father planned before time began to redeem those who would believe the gospel through Jesus. I'm comforted because I know God has everything under control from the beginning. Nothing surprised him. Nothing's too hard for him to deal with. 
In fact, it's all been worked out and locked in prior to us stuffing it up in Genesis 3 where humanity sinned and disobeyed God. The good thing is human choice and sin cannot stop God's plan of salvation or any of God's plans for that matter. That's so comforting to me. It's so comforting. And here's the key. Why? Why did God plan it? Why did God plan salvation through Jesus Christ before the world was? Love. It pleased God, the good pleasure of his will. Love always plans a way of escape. Love plans a way for relationship. Love plans a way for adoption into the family of God for all that would believe. So in love, we are predestined in Christ. What does in Christ mean? We have all these terms in Christian faith, and sometimes we can just say it and think that everyone understands what we're talking about. What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, in Christ means you're all children of God through faith. That through your baptism, when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. We're actually clothed ourselves with Christ. And to enter the presence of a holy God, we must be hidden in the righteousness of Christ. To be in Christ means that God no longer sees our imperfections or our sins. He sees the righteousness of his own son. Only in Christ is our sin debt cancelled and our relationship with God restored and our eternity secured. This makes us holy and blameless in Christ before God. Like I can't stand before God with more my good works and go, like when I die or when Christ returns, go, hey, I've done all right. You're going to let me in, right? Like I'm pretty good. He's going to go, no, but what about your sin? Because I'm stained with sin. Just because we do good works, we still have this problem of sin. And we can't stand before a holy and righteous God with sin. But when we are in Christ, I stand before this holy and righteous God when I see him and I look at him and he goes, what have you done? And I just point to Jesus. I say, he's done it all. I'm sinful, but I'm covered by his blood because it's everything God has done. That's the only way we can stand before a holy and righteous God. See, this driving force of this perfect plan in Jesus is love. It's the Father's love for you. It's the Father's love for me. And I love it how it ends every time, to the praise of his glory, not my glory, not anything I've done. It's all to God's plan from the beginning of time. And this brings us to the next point, that the Father's loving plan is actually manifest to us and all of humanity through Jesus. So the second point is God the Son redeems. In verse 7, we find, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's only through Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, the shedding of His blood, that we've been able to have access to this forgiveness of sins and adoption into the family of God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Jesus' sacrifice that we actually get to enter into this. And in verse 8 it says, which, we made to abound towards, which he made abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. You see, remember he's talking to the Jews here. Christianity is not a new religion, but it's a continuation of the Old Testament. In this perfect moment in history, God had planned to send Jesus to be the fulfillment of the Old Testament, to be fulfillment of all the prophecies, of all the sacrificial systems, so that all the people of the earth would be brought into the family of God, Jews and Gentiles in Jesus. 
And this is the mystery Paul's revealing to the Jews here. He's saying, hey, guess what? God's will was to bring all people of the earth into relationship with Jesus, not just you, not just the Jews. That's the mystery. The Messiah you're waiting for, he has come for you, but also the entire human race. And the son's perfect uh, part in this perfect plan of love was to be the one who would come and carry the plan out on earth. This is the incarnation of Christ. This is God coming in flesh, being fully human, but also fully divine. And Jesus came that we would know the love of God, the love of God that he had for us before the foundation of the world. And this mystery is fully revealed in the person of Jesus. The full character and nature of God is revealed in Jesus' life and his teachings. And we find the ultimate revealing of God's character and nature is revealed through the cross, where God the Son takes the punishment for humanity's sin. The cross, again, we see this driving force of the gospel, and it's love. And not only did God make a plan out of love, he also was the one who was to carry it out in love. You see, this radical love we see displayed on the cross, where Jesus takes your sin and my sin and dies the death that we deserve. John 15, 13, he says this beautiful thing. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. Interesting thing is, God actually takes it a step further and he lays his life down for his enemies. And not only does he lay his life down for his enemies, he then makes them sons and daughters through adoption into the family of God in Christ. That is amazing. And then verse 11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It was God's will that we would all be redeemed in and through his son especially the Jews. They couldn't accept that. But God predestines his son to die for you. God then adopts us into the family and then gives us the love he has for his own son and then gives you, his son, as an inheritance. This is amazing. This is pure love. This, this is like a heavenly love that we cannot comprehend in its totality. I can't comprehend that God would do that for his enemies. Verse 12 says that we who first trusted in Christ Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Again, this is where he wraps up talking to the Jews. He says, we who first trusted in Christ is to his praise. Because it was the disciples that trusted in Christ. Well, lots of people in Jerusalem trusted in Christ first. And then Peter goes out and finds, oh, hang on, the Gentiles are included on this too. But again, he's saying this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So how do we know that we're part of the family of God? Well, by the gift and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And this comes to my last point. God the Spirit seals. Verse 13 says, In Him you also trusted. So He says, We've first trusted as the Jews, and then now He turns to the Gentiles. He goes, In Him you've also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. So how do we get access to this amazing plan of salvation? It's through Jesus' manifestation on earth. It's his death and resurrection. It's through the gospel, right? Through the good news. This is why knowing the gospel is really important for us as a church. And knowing how to share is important. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Paul actually pleads with the church in the Roman church in Romans 10. He says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How then shall they believe in him who they have not heard? 
How then shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You see, we the church are commanded to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And upon hearing the gospel, people have the responsibility to respond to the gospel. And when they do, when they repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in Jesus, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. A guarantee that we're part of the family of God and we will inherit eternal life with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, the Spirit is like a down payment, a guarantee to our full inheritance. It's like when you go to buy a property. Say a property is a million dollars. I'd love to buy a million dollar property. But anyway, say a property is a million dollars. You put 10% down payment, right? So it's $100,000, 10% down payment. That locks you in. It's a contract, right? So you put your, your 10% down and that's yours. And you will then get that one day when the full payments come through. And this is the strange thing, right? We think we've made the down payment by believing in Jesus. We actually think that the deposit, we've made a deposit through faith to guarantee our place in heaven, but it's God who has purchased us. You see, he's given the down payment of the Holy Spirit to us to, for our access to eternal life. Just think about that. God's bought you through the blood of Jesus and given you the down payment, which is his Holy Spirit, as a guarantee to be with him for eternity. That is just so beautiful to me. That God, out of his amazing love, bought you at a price. And that price was the blood and the death of his own son. That's how much he loved you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. God owns you now. You're safely owned by God, and nothing can change that. And because he bought you, God will receive his prized possession, which is you and me. There's so much comfort and security in that fact for me, that God holds on to to you and me and has purchased you and me, and he will receive you to himself. And not only that, but God gives you the down payment of the Holy Spirit to live with you, to live inside you, to guide you in this life, to teach you and direct you in this most close and intimate way. And he says there in verse 13, he uses that pronoun. He says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he's talking to the Gentiles, right? This verse is for us today. In Australia, 2021, we're Gentiles. He's saying, You have an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus and be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And because we all share the same spirit, we have unity in Christ. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female. There is none of that in Christ. We all have unity. And what does that unity mean? Like when I, I love surfing, as you all know, and if I meet someone who loves surfing, we have unity in that, right? So we can talk for hours about surfing and surfboards and when you go surfing, all that kind of stuff. We have unity. But then they might go, oh, I like this football team. And I'm like, don't like them. So some of that unity is, you know, cut off. And then there's other people when you go overseas, like I've gone overseas and I'm like, oh, you're Australian. You're here in Australia. You're like, ah, in Australia, we have unity, right, in our nationality. But then you find out that they're not very nice and you probably don't want to have too much unity with that. And so we have things that we have unity in, but there is a special unity in family, right? Like your brothers and sisters, like regardless of what they like and what they don't like, there's a special family unity. And for me... Coming to faith 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago in Jesus, I have found 
that the unity in Christ is far beyond any of that. That when I meet someone, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their background, regardless of how much money they got, if they tell me they love Jesus, and I can see that evident, I don't care if they like surfing. I don't care if they like my football team. I don't care about any of that stuff because we have a special kind of unity in Christ Jesus. And this is what we get given. This is what Paul's trying to bring together. We have one unity in one body. We are the body, the church. We are unity in one spirit, one baptism, one Lord. And we're adopted as brothers and sisters. And that breaks down all barriers, all barriers in Christ. And again, it finishes with, to the praise of his glory. I love that. That again, who breaks down the barriers? It's God. It's not us. If the band want to come up. So Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, it's all about God. It's all about his plan. It's all about his salvation. It's all about his promises. It's all about his faithfulness and his security for us in the gospel. All to the praise of his glory. It's none of me. That's what I love most about it. I can't stuff it up then. If it's all God's plan and all God's doing, then I can't get in the way of that. And you know what it gives me? It gives me hope and security and peace. We get this because it's all God from start to finish. God is faithful and he's never not kept a promise. That's clear in the Bible. That's clear in the Old Testament. He's kept all his promises. It's clear in the Gospels that Jesus kept these promises. It's clear in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's clear now that we have been given the Holy Spirit to live with us. They're all testimony to this truth. You know what? Nothing can stop God's plan of salvation through Jesus. Nothing. Romans 8 says this in verse 38. It says, Paul says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All this truth is to the praise of His glory. All this truth gives me a peace that passes understanding. Because regardless of what we suffer and face in life, God has done everything needed for deliverance from sin and death. And all this, all this understanding just causes me to worship. And this understanding should cause us to worship, should cause us to fall on our knees in awe and wonder at His amazing plan that He's shown through His amazing grace and love. Why? Because we live in full assurance of His faithfulness, His plan of redemption, and full assurance that God soon one day will make a new heaven and a new earth. Ephesians 1, 1-14 shows us that God the Father planned before time again to adopt us as sons and daughters in love. That God the Son was the means of bringing this plan into reality through the cross and resurrection in love. And that God the Holy Spirit is the seal for all believers. And we look forward to our inheritance in Christ. That we are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers with Christ. That just blows my mind. And God will bring this to completion in love as well. All to the praise of His glory. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, we just stand before you not fully understanding the gravity, the power of your love and your grace, Lord. God, would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to receive just a snippet of your great love and mercy and grace that you have for us. Would you open my eyes to it, Lord? Would you break our heart for those that your heart is broken for?
Lord, would you give us wisdom and discernment and the power of your Holy Spirit to share your love and mercy and grace with the world out there. God, we surrender to you. We come before you and say, God, use me. I'm here. Help me share your love with those people out there that they may come to know you, God, and be redeemed through the blood of Christ. And you might be sitting here today and you have never received the love of Jesus. You've never understood that, that God loved you before the foundation of the world. That he desires to redeem you and restore you and there's nothing you can do but receive it. If that's you today, just as every head bowed, just put your hands out on your lap as if you're receiving a gift because salvation is received. It's a gift. What we need to do is we need to repent and put our faith in Jesus. So just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I put my faith and trust in your plan, in Jesus Christ. I believe you love me. You died for me. And I believe you rose again in victory over sin and death. Father, I ask for the sealing, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you that I'm your son and your daughter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.